wasabi wallet, unfairly private. What's up, everyone? I'm Ben with the BTC Sessions. Today, I sat down with Mario Gibney from Blockstream. He's the head of customer service there, uh, and he's also part of the Unhashed podcast. Uh, and so we got to talking about Bitcoin fees. And we dove into the dynamics of how fees actually work and their function and the eventuality of Bitcoin being fully dependent on fees to pay the miners. We got into the dynamics of uh, dealing with secondary layers or side chains. So things like Lightning Network and Liquid Network about how they impact fees and how they can help alleviate and allow people to transact for uh, cheaper fees and more quickly. Um, and then we even got a little bit cosmic and started talking about interplanetary and off-planet Bitcoin and how that might work and how fees play into that. Uh, so it was a really fun conversation. I hope you guys really enjoy it. Uh, and this is Sips with Sessions. Hodl the Bitcoin. Now, before we start the show, of course, shout out to sponsors of the show, Ledin.io. This is where you can use your Bitcoin for a variety of different services. They've got their Bitcoin back loans where you can use your Bitcoin as collateral to get a Canadian or US dollar loan. So if you're in a pinch, you need dollars and you don't want to sell your Bitcoin because that's taxable and because you're worried about buying back in at a higher price point, that could be for you. They also have Bitcoin USDC savings accounts with interest rates of up to 11.7% annually paid monthly. And they've got their B2X offering that uses the same loan mechanism to instantly buy more Bitcoin, effectively doubling your Bitcoin on the spot. If you want to check them out, there's a link in the show notes down below. And if you click that link and opt to get a loan, well, they'll give you 25 bucks worth of USDC right into your savings account right away. Now, up next, we have our friends at... Crypto Cloaks, if you haven't heard of these guys, you got to check them out. Bunch of awesome Bitcoiners with 3D printers pumping out incredible swag. Now, I have my Bitcoin custom node case made from them. Um, I've got my Bitcoin coaster always ready for sips with sessions. And they've got a ton of other cool stuff. Of course, the Honey Badger uh, to store your hardware wallets in. The Bitcoin grenades are great for gifts. You can put open dimes in them. Sticker packs, covers for your hardware wallets. As I said before, node cases, they've even got night lights and they're constantly pumping out more and more gear. Check them out. Head to CryptoCloaks.com and use code BTC Sessions, all one word, for 5% off at checkout. And finally, we have the Kobo Vault. Now, this has quickly moved into my regularly rotated hardware wallets that I use almost on a daily basis. I love this thing, particularly because it's completely air-gapped, meaning you never plug the thing into an internet-connected device, no phone, no, no uh, computer. It's just all done through QR codes. That keeps the seed or the backup to your wallet safe. Uh, now, their firmware is open source. They've got a uh, secure element on the thing. And of course, they've got their Bitcoin only firmware, which is interoperable with a variety of different wallets. You don't have to use their dedicated app. If you like, you can use things like Bitcoin Core or Electrum or my go-to desktop wallet, Wasabi, or my go-to mobile wallet, Blue Wallet. So be sure to check them out. Uh, there's a link in the show 
show notes down below if you want to grab one. And just for reference, I'm using the Kobo Vault Pro, which has the fingerprint scanner and has the rechargeable battery. So be sure to check them out. And by the way, they're doing giveaways. They continue to do giveaways on my show throughout the end of November. So if you want to win a Kobo Tablet Plus, which is a steel seed plate, which can hold the backup to any Bitcoin wallet you may have, all you need to do, retweet the show, tag myself and Kobo in that retweet, and just let us know why you want one. And with that, let's dive into the interview. We are recording. Welcome, friend. How are you? Doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So, uh, Mario, Mario, uh, I, I'm always careful with last names because there's always a call. Oh, it's not, but it's not that hard to pronounce. Gibney, right? There you go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because you never know. Somebody might, it's actually Gibne or <laughs> something, but yeah. Okay. I'm always, I'm always super self-conscious about trying to see. You nailed it. In heaven. Okay. Perfect. So Mario Gibney, you're, you, you do some work with Blockstream, correct friend? Uh, yeah. I'm customer support lead there. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I guess before we get into anything, what you sipping on? I, uh, this morning I'm sipping on, uh, on Soylent. Um, <laughs> just what That's I often funny. have for breakfast nowadays. Because it's, uh, you know, just a wholly nutritious drink. I'm sure all, all our Bitcoin friends out there will be very approving of it. Um, yeah, it's great. You just, just mix powder with water and then you have everything the body needs. It's um, Literally yeah. everything. I, well, I mean, in theory, yeah. Like you look at the... Um, I mean, according to their nutritional labels, and we all know they could never make a mistake or lie there. Um, yes. Is it good? I like it. I, I do actually like it a lot. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think it's probably not healthy to have too much of this stuff. Like there are people yeah. who apparently lived on only it. I wouldn't recommend doing that. But probably, um, probably better. I'm, I'm drinking coffee. That can't be any better than what <laughs> I um Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think coffee is supposed to be a meal supplement, though. I mean, maybe it is for some people, but um, no. No, I, don't know. I, 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 I do want to highlight my mug though. This, so this is my shitcoin mug and every time oh, I pull it, it out, I find it hilarious because it's like this wonderful reminder of how many projects have come seeking relevance and then disappeared into the ether. You're the first person I've met who's had a matching coffee mug and toilet paper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You saw that. Uh, the oh. Bill, Bill Foddle. Yeah, well, no, that's our that's our podcast. We made that. Um, so the the yes. Bill Foddle guys, uh, I do uh, the unhash. Oh, I can shill them. The the unhash podcast is a show I do with them. And uh, so if you look on on the toilet paper, that's so yeah. on there. I'm, it's is it weird that I value the toilet paper more than I value the underlying token? In that I don't even want to wipe my ass with it because I find it funny. <laughs> I um, well, I think the entire point is that um, it's more valuable <laughs> as toilet paper than as yeah. white paper. Uh, but that's great. I mean, if you want to keep it, um, you know, you could put it, put it on a shelf somewhere and yeah. show it off to your guests. Um, it, yeah. It, yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll save it for occasions where I make uh, high time preference uh, diet decisions. There you go. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I forgot we made this. We made those like, I think a year ago or something like that. And, um, and shockingly they didn't sell. Uh, but they've been, they've been they've been a fun marketing gimmick. Like people seem to think they're hilarious when they get them. Oh but yeah, we, uh, I was have... I was over the moon like literally <laughs> when I when I got it. Uh, surprised, very excited about it. But um, uh, as much as I'd love to continue talking about wiping my ass with you, uh, I I wanted to chat to you today about um, Bitcoin fees 
And the reason behind this is I, I saw and kind of partook in a little bit of an exchange on, on Twitter and, uh, and there was, uh, the, there was a discussion around the Bitcoin fees and potentially uh, a market forming to a point where one Satoshi per byte may never clear and the mempool just never clears. Um, but before we dive like deep, deep into that, uh, that realm of thought, what I did want to do is because there tends to be some newbies that, that watch this channel and they may not have like a full, full grasp on, even just Bitcoin fees in general, some of the things around them and, and, and how they're calculated, um, things like that. So maybe, maybe we could start and just maybe bounce off each other uh, wherever we want to chime in back and forth. But about, let's start with Bitcoin fees, how they work in the first place, how they're calculated, um, how a fee kind of uh, is decided. Sure. Um, so when you uh, send a transaction in Bitcoin, it needs to get included in a block uh, before it's actually confirmed and it's sent. Um, and uh, blocks are created by miners uh, on average every 10 minutes. There's a new block, which can be, I mean, the upper limit now is roughly 2.2 megabytes. And um, uh, you need to include a, a fee with your transaction in order for a miner to include it in the block. Um, now, what happens is, there's limited space. So if there's a period of high traffic where many, many people are trying to get transactions confirmed, they cannot all fit inside um, a given block. So what happens is that um, the senders of the transaction uh, bid higher fees against each other because the miners get to keep um, any fees from the um, transactions included in the block they create. So they're, um, you know, um, exceptions aside, they're going to always choose the uh, the fees that or the transactions that include the um, the most fees uh, per uh, 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 per byte, basically. Um, like uh, mm -hmm. the yeah, the highest fees depending on how much space the transaction takes up. So periods of high traffic, um, yeah, you'll uh, you'll generally pay higher fees. Now, if you're like an everyday uh, user um, and you send uh, just using your wallet, you'll, the wallet, most good wallets will calculate fees for you and will give you an estimate like, you know, uh, low, medium, or, you know, slow, medium, fast. Um, and uh, if, if you've used Bitcoin long enough, you'll know that those aren't always accurate because, you know, you yeah. can't predict the future. You don't know, like, you know, next six hours, there might be tons of, uh, tons of uh, traffic, or you might set a low fee and it confirms really quickly because, you know, there's a burst of blocks found. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where they come from. Cool. And, and obviously, um, well, I guess not obviously to newcomers, but fees are not in any way related to the value sent, but rather on the amount of space computationally that will be taken up in a block. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, <laughs> uh, we, we, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but wallets are, are not always the greatest at, at predicting that kind of stuff. Um, how do wallets often come to a conclusion as to what they estimate the uh, the best fee to be. Oh, um, okay. Well, yeah. First of all, I agree that there's. Uh, I think it's pretty universally agreed upon that there's a lot of room for improvement in fee estimation software. I mean, the, the right now. I mean, ooh, I, I wish I'd known this question in advance. I would have looked into it a bit more deeply. Um, I mean, I, I don't know the precise mechanics behind it, but we essentially look at. Um, at the uh, like a node's mempool, that is like how many transactions there are in a backlog, and um, 
you can make a guess based on expected, um, you know, uh, blocks being created over the next time period. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you have, you know, if you create a transaction with, you know, 30 um, Satoshis per byte, um, you can be like, okay, well, there's, you know, you know, uh, 10, 10 blocks worth of transactions paying higher fees than that. So you're probably going to have to wait at least like two hours, for example. Um, so they basically take data of, you know, the see the backlog, how many transactions are waiting to be confirmed, how much they are paying in fees, and they'll do the best estimate. Um, okay. It's it's not, uh, it's not, yeah, like there, there's definitely room for improvement there. If you want to do it manually yourself, there's a great website called uh, whatthefee.io. Um, and what it does is it's got this chart where it kind of breaks down into a, uh, different percentages like you know if you want your transaction confirmed the next hour with 95% certainty it recommends you know um, uh, this level of fees you know if you want like a 50% chance your transaction confirms in the next like you know six hours you know recommends this level of fees and that tends to be uh, quite a bit more accurate um, we're uh, well I can I can probably say this where I've actually been talking with our um, one of our designers at Blockstream we've come up with what I think is a, a kind of a new way to um, to a new user interface for uh, providing more precise uh, fee levels for the wallet. And uh, that should be coming out relatively soonish on Blockstream Green. So I'm pretty excited to, to have that in users' hands. Awesome, awesome. How has uh, Blockstream Green been going? You, obviously, you guys have the, the desktop version now. How, how, how has that been uh, received by everybody? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the new UI, which I guess we, we launched, you know, the, originally it was called Green Address. Um, so when I joined back in early 2018, uh, that's what it was. And I guess it would have been, in, I think it's spring 2019, uh, we launched Blockstream Green, which was the, the UI overhaul and, um, or yeah, the UX overhaul. And that was, uh, it was very well received. People, uh, Green Address, if you've ever used the original app, it, it's still available if you look at it on like GitHub. It's uh, pretty, pretty old school. Um, actually, I think the first time Hugh and I chatted was when you did um, an instructional video for Green. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Back when uh, it was, it had just launched and there were, uh, I'm trying to recall, I don't think that there was yet uh, liquid functionality in that's it. That's correct. Yeah. Liquid yeah. didn't come till later. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Like I, I find it, um, it's, it's got advanced features in it, um, but they're not in your face enough to confuse a newcomer, I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, but you guys also recently launched Aqua, correct? That's right. Yeah. So we're, we're going to divide it between like Aqua is going to be the more noob friendly wallet. It's very stripped down and basic and simple. It's a single wallet handles, uh, you know, Bitcoin or liquid assets. And it's supposed to be, it's kind of the one designed for your grandma, you know, you, yeah. you know, really, really basic, none of the frills and then power users can be over to a block string green, which has, um, yeah, all the bells and whistles, um, and uh, we're kind of happy now that Aqua's launched uh, a lot of the, because it's the same team the, 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 that builds both apps. So now we're going to be able to shift focus back over to, uh, to, to green again and add a bunch of features. I know people have been waiting for a while. Like coin control is a big one that uh, yeah. has kind of become a must have for, um, for the uh, power users. And, uh, and uh, so we're, we're kind of to get that out soon. Cool. I'm, I'm on a bit of a segue here, but, uh, or a, a bit of a tangent, um, but uh, is there any chance that you guys will be looking at implementing pay join? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's it's not something we're immediately working on, I don't think, but that's definitely something we intend to add. Um, it's uh, it's on the list of things that, uh, that there's always, there's always so much to do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, 
and uh, you know the, the guys building blocks from green are also like they they do they uh yeah now now we got um, aqua and green like pay join yeah i i um i can't give a timeline but i i know that's something we want to have eventually. it's on the radar yeah i mean that that's going to be ideal like you know for people who don't know pay join it's essentially like it came out of a, this attempt to make the uh, a minimalist coin join and uh once um, yeah, once that kind of that's more widespread, like it, it's going to be a massive boost to privacy without like user hassle, which is huge. Like, I mean, hmm. coin joins are cool, but the fact that you actually have to kind of set it up and divide your coins in smaller amounts and like, you know, hmm. go through this extra process, uh, is kind of a big hindrance. Like the great thing about pay join is, you know, once we've, once that's, um, more broadly developed, you'll have people, you know, paying each other using this protocol and there's, there's no burden of convenience. Um, provided both parties are online. So yeah, I, um, I'm really excited to see that working. Yeah, that's, it's, it's very, very exciting. Um, the, I guess this is, is quite relevant given that recently we had uh, BitMEX crack down upon and then we had Chainalysis label uh, coins from BitMEX as high risk. And I saw a couple tweets the other day from people, now it's, I, I can't, fully, fully confirm if this was the reason, but um, uh, somebody who had taken their BitMEX coins, put them on Coinbase and then tried to withdraw and was not allowed to. Mm. Um, so you have instances like that where um, having a more broadened, almost like it, it's, I want to say taint, but it's not really taint because it just kind of obfuscates exactly what's going on without looking strange to an outsider. Is that- well, yeah. Well, I mean, because uh, it's um, um, I think I think they call this a stenographic um, transaction. I think that was the term, which is um, uh, you want something that uh, enhances your coin's privacy without being obvious that it is doing that. The problem with Bitmax is that everyone knows which are the Bitmax addresses. Like, yeah. you don't really want that to be the situation. You know, it's the same thing with most coin joins as they're implemented today. Um, you can just you can look at that transaction on a blocker store and be like, oh, it's a coin join. With pay to endpoint, it won't that won't be the case. It will look identical to um, a regular payment with you know two inputs, two outputs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I guess a stenographic transaction is is a transaction that you know it, yeah manages to enhance your privacy um, and isn't and isn't clearly doing so. Um, so I guess it's kind of meta meta privacy. I guess I was calling it before I was correct yeah. on the term, but yeah. Huh, fair enough. Yeah, it's a big boost. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna reel it a little bit back in towards the 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 fee aspect that we we're talking about. So obviously, there's there's a number of things that users can do to try and minimize the fees that they're paying, given um, uh, I guess recent upgrades to the Bitcoin protocol in the past few years. So um, you know things like using uh, Segwit enabled wallets, which most are SegWit enabled, but there are, um, there's wrapped SegWit and then there's BEC32 addresses. Would you, would you want to tackle just describing the difference between a SegWit and like a BEC32? Oh, um, sure. Yeah. I mean, well, BEC32 is native SegWit uh, and um, yeah, wrapped SegWit is, it uses the, oh, I don't know how, how I don't know how much detail we want to get into. I mean, it, it's essentially it uses uh, the pay to script hash format um, uh, to uh, take advantage of SegWit, but because it's not, 
I, I guess because it's nested inside uh, uh, P2SH, it doesn't take full advantage of it. So if you use, uh, you know, wrapped SegWit, you'll get like, um, you know, something like 30% of the gains or something like that. And then if you yeah. use native SegWit, you get more gains. And this essentially makes the, your, it doesn't make the transaction actually smaller, but it makes uh, miners treat the transaction as smaller, uh, which means that uh, whatever fees you pay, um, because fees are paid based on the amount of space the trans transaction takes up, um, it will, uh, you can view it as, it, it essentially makes the transaction cheaper to broadcast. Okay. Yeah, and and for anybody watching that's unsure to tell uh, if you're using wrapped SegWit or, or native SegWit, wrapped uh, addresses would start with a three and uh, BEC32 or, or native SegWit start with BC1. BC1 will save you more on fees. And actually uh, the Blockstream, uh, blockstream.info will actually show you uh, if you look up a transaction, um, it, you know, if what type of transaction it was and how much you could have saved on fees had you used uh, BEC32 or, or native SegWit, correct? Uh, that's right, yeah. Well, we have a little, um, I, I guess it's a little privacy analysis section, which will, or, or, Oh, no, that's a bit separate. But yeah, no, no, no. Well, like if you look at the transaction on the Baku score, yeah, it will tell you, you know, whether how much you saved if you use SegWit, uh, how much you saved if you use uh, native SegWit, um, how much you could have saved if you didn't. Um, uh, it's also worth noting that um, the savings, uh, the, the, the reduced fees, they don't come from sending to that type of address. They come to spending from that type of address. So in order to take advantage of these cheaper address types, you need to set up your wallet to receive to that type of address. Yeah. Uh, because if I'm spending from like, you know, a regular, um, you know, uh, pay to public key hash um, um, address, I'm, I'm still going to pay the regular fee amount, even though I'm sending to a batch 32 address. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're going to want a wallet. Um, uh, yeah, that accepts SegWit format, at least one of those two uh, yeah. formats. And so I guess... And maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong regarding uh, this. So people that are confused that uh, in regards to why it's not cheaper to send to a BEC32, but to rather to send from, it's because the, the fees that you pay are associated with kind of the state of the, the coins or the UTXOs that you've received and where they've come from. And so if you've received uh, Bitcoin from a... Uh, if you've received Bitcoin from a legacy address, one starting from a, a one, then that UTXO effectively, in order to send it um, at that point, then it, it essentially is going to take up more block space to send it, even in concert with other ones. Or how, how exactly would you best describe, um, it's, it's more of an implication of, of where the coins were in the previous transaction or like the state of the, how would, how would you word that? Okay. So uh, like um, when you, when you're sending uh, coins to an address, what an address is, is it um, uh, is a set of instructions for how that coin can be spent again. And in the vast majority of situations, what the way that coin gets spent again is by providing a digital signature. Um, and that's basically what Bitcoin wallets do is you have a private key and that private key um, can generate a bunch of signatures that allow you to spend funds that have been sent to addresses generated by that wallet. Now, um, the signature is the largest um, part of a transaction. It's the uh, yeah largest in size. I, I forget exactly what the portion is, but it's generally like it's over 50% of the transaction's data is just the digital signature. Now, um, 
Uh, SegWit addresses allow you to um, include your signature in a part of, uh, in a way that um, doesn't take up as much, as much space. Um, what seg SegWit is called segregated witness, um, which just means the witness data, that is the signatures, are included in a separate part of the Bitcoin block where that is less space constrained. So if you're spending from a SegWit address, that means you can provide a SegWit signature. Um, you can provide a signature that gets stored in this less space constrained part of the block. And so it doesn't, um, it doesn't uh, uh, take up as much of the scarcer space. So the miners are more willing to include it essentially. Um, so it all comes down to, yeah, where, where you're placing the signature. Um, okay. wrapped, wrapped SegWit, um, uh, I, I believe, uh, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe the reason it isn't quite as efficient as native SegWit is because it has to include a few more instructions, which is part of the witness data uh, before it directs kind of uh, 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 the instructions down to the uh, signature and the witness data. But yeah, it's basically okay. where the signature goes. Okay. Now, as far as other um, methods that people could use to save on fees, I'm talking mostly main chain. Mm -hmm. um, are there any that pop out to you that that would be a good practice for people to, to utilize? Sure, I mean, yeah, so there, there are kind of three main things you can do. Um, the first um, is, as we said, use SegWit. Um, the second thing you can do is, um, I should say four things. Um, the second thing you do is choose when to time your transaction. Um, so this, I guess, will probably lead into a conversation later that we're going mm -hmm. to later on. Um, but the, um, the, there is less traffic on weekends because people aren't working like a, pretty regularly traffic picks up um you know office hours new york city time um there's all, always you know tons of transactions hit the network and then they have to bid against each other so if you're sending transactions um on the weekend you can probably include a very low fee and they will get included pretty quickly these days um you know there are periods when you do see a couple of weeks where the backlog doesn't clear but in general, cheaper fees on the weekends, cheaper fees in evenings, uh, North America time. Um, the other thing you can do is, um, there are two more methods called uh, replace by fee and child pays or parent. And these are ways to speed along transactions that are kind of stuck. Um, child pays or parent, I, I guess, is it, it's, it's a bit more advanced. It, it, uh, where you have a transaction that hasn't been confirmed yet, um, and if you spend from that transaction, including a higher fee, miners will be more willing to include the first one because they can see if they include the first low fee transaction, they'll also get to include this, you know, juicy higher fee transaction, which spends from it. Um, and then replaced by fee is probably your best bet, um, provided your wallet supports it. You do want to have a wallet that supports replaced by fee. Um, so what that is, let's say you broadcast a transaction and you're expecting to go through in an hour or two. So you pay, you know, 10 Satoshis per V-byte. And then suddenly traffic spikes in the network and it's in this like big backlog and it's probably not going to confirm the next day, but you need it um, confirmed sooner. Replaced by fee is a, uh, is a method where your wallet will rebroadcast the transaction again with a higher fee. So if your wallet supports this, then uh, you basically go in uh, with uh, Blockstream Green, you just find the unconfirmed transaction. There's a button that says increased fee. You choose how many fees you actually want to pay and then it sends that again with a higher fee. Um, now, that, um, that's actually a, a useful strategy, um, it, especially if, if, you don't, if something that's not too urgent, but let's say it needs to get converted the next day or two, and you know, you're not sure, you think maybe the mempool, you, you think maybe the backlog will clear in the evening or not, you can start by broadcasting a very, very low 
uh, fee transaction. And then if it doesn't clear over time, you can just gradually increase the fee until it, uh, you know, and if it suddenly becomes urgent, you can increase the fee quite a bit later. So um, yeah, I mean, like for the average user, I, I strongly meant, yeah, use a wallet that supports SegWit, uh, use a wallet that supports replace by fee. Um, check out that whatthefee.io website. It's pretty good. And um, it's very simple. It's just a little graph. Um, and then, uh, yeah, lowball your fees and gradually increase with a place by fee. Awesome. Cool. Um, now, obviously, there are uh, solutions for if, if you're in need of either low, uh, you know, low, tra um, what's the word? I'm saying? Small transactions uh, that are very quick. Um, there's, there's second layer solutions or I guess layer 1.5 solutions in the case of liquid. So there's, there's lightning and liquid and that can kind of help alleviate uh, theoretically alleviate uh, some of the congestion on chain now in how do you how do you see this having played out so far um, do you see it helping at all with on chain or do you think that we just haven't gotten to that point where it's it's super necessary for people to be using these things um Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it, it's hard to say with Lightning because the, the data isn't public. So we don't have, like with Bitcoin, you can see precisely how, like what the transaction activity is. Um, you know, all that data is public. With Lightning, it isn't as public. You know, if two people have a channel, for all we know, they've made hundreds of transactions between each other. Um, they might've made none. So it, it's a bit hard to say. Um, I, I mean, my personal guess would be most people who are using Lightning are doing it um, uh, for, I mean, I, I think a lot of people use it because it's interesting and fun, and um, and uh, the instant confirmation is quite handy. Um, for saving on fees, um, yeah, I mean, it, it might be having a benefit. I think, like, long-term, um, uh, I mean, I, I have no idea, to be honest. This is kind of a short answer. I, I think uh, I remember seeing some data from a year or two ago. I'm not sure if it's still relevant, but that... Uh, an extremely large proportion of transactions on the Bitcoin network were uh, between custodians, between exchanges. And um, until there's, they've got quite an infrastructure of lightning uh, payments between them, which I, I think is a long ways away. There are some challenges with that since lightning is better for smaller payments. Um, uh, I, I would expect that it probably hasn't had a massively negative effect on uh, fees. Mm -hmm. um, from a personal user standpoint, it's pretty handy if you're going to be making regular um, payments of under one or two hundred dollars. I think it's very worth your time to open up a couple lightning channels. Um, you know, we've been using it on the blockchain store for I think we were, we were one of the first stores online to accept lightning payments. And uh, yeah, Actually, I, I bought stickers. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah. Well, we had the one uh, the I got lightning working, and uh, but all I got was this sticker. I think that's probably one <laughs> yeah. of people's uh, most popular purchases once they get it going. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and so people really seem to prefer it for things like that for retail. Um, I, I long term, I mean, and this maybe will tie into stuff we'll get into later. I think that Lightning will ultimately drive up fees on the main chain um, once because it, it kind of increases the value of um, what you can get done in a transaction. If you could, if you can spend a transaction to open up a Lightning channel and make you know, hundreds of transactions with that, you're gonna be willing to pay a lot more for that transaction on chain. Um, but yeah, I guess that's kind of a separate question of whether or not it's been beneficial today in terms of uh, reducing fees on chain. 
Yeah. Let, well, let's let's dive down that now. Um, so again, the the initial um, reason I messaged you was because of a conversation that was kind of going on on Twitter, and it had to do with with the mempool um, seemingly filling up pretty regularly now. Um, it it doesn't clear nearly as often as it used to, and by clearing, I mean the the transaction backlog is is effectively non-existent or within one block and you can easily get through with a one satoshi per byte uh transaction fee. well yeah in simplest terms it's just if there are periods where blocks aren't full yeah yeah and so um there's a conversation going back and forth and i'll give a shout out to denver bitcoin because uh he was involved in the conversation and actually he he tagged me and he was like hey this would be a good conversation to have so um, it was in regards to, uh, and, and funny enough, before we jumped on, I was like, oh, well, you seem to be of the opinion that a fee market will will develop. And, and you said, well, I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> like, you're kind of, you're not I, necessarily. I, 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 I'm optimistic. I just don't think it's a foregone conclusion as many other people do. Okay. Yeah. So, so what he was getting at was he believes, uh, at least my understanding, hopefully I'm not misquoting him here, but as I was reading through the thread, um, it seemed that he believed that uh, in an instance where fees became prohibitively expensive on chain for extended periods of time, it would drive people to second layer solutions like lightning, like liquid or whatever else, um, or even, maybe even custodians. And in turn, because of people being driven out to, to other options, it would give relief to on chain fees thus kind of hitting an equilibrium, allowing the mempool to eventually clear again, and that cycle would kind of repeat. That was my understanding of it. Um, now, I don't know, what, what, what is your position on if a fee market will develop, if we'll get to a point where one sat per byte just no longer clears? All right, uh, first I wanna just um, make a comment on terminology about something that really triggers me. I, I, hate, I hate the phrase fee market, like, it should be called the block space market because yeah. you're bidding for block space. That's what the demand is for. And just, I, <laughs> I'm like the lone man trying to fight this battle, but we shouldn't be calling it a fee market. It's called a block space market. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're new to this topic, a lot of people use the term fee market. Um, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten the question. <laughs> uh, you're asking like, if, like how convincing I find his argument. Um, well, I think just in general for yourself, do you believe that a, a fee market will, um, or a, a, a block space. <laughs> <laughs> Redo. Uh, do you believe that a block space market will eventually develop to the point where one Satoshi per byte, where we get to a point where transactions with one sat per byte will just feasibly never uh, clear again? Do you think we'll get to that? Yeah. Point? Um, I, I, not only do I think we'll get to that point, I think that if we don't get to that point, Bitcoin is kind of screwed um, because, you know, we have this. Like right now, the security is like uh, the security budget, I guess some people refer to it as just the, um, the reward for miners to continue uh, producing blocks um, is provided by newly minted Bitcoin. And every four years, it gets cut in half. And eventually that reaches a negligible amount. And at that point in time, we need to have um, fees um, uh, supply a sufficient reward for the miners to uh, provide security for the network. And if that does not happen, then the security model starts to break down. Uh, so I am quite optimistic that we will get to the point where once Toshuber byte um, fees don't confirm because there's just too much demand. 
And I also think that's a very, very good thing. It's a really, really important that we get a robust block space market developing. Um, yeah. Quick question. Okay. Uh, I'm, I can't do the mental math right now. Maybe you might be able to tell me if everybody in a single block that was full, uh, paid one sat per byte and there are kind of average size transactions, how many sats roughly would that be for a, a miner? If, if the, oh, okay. Is so, I mean, if it's full, uh, let's say, let's round, let's say two megabytes. I mean, you know, it might be 2.3, but let's say two megabytes. Uh, so that should be 2 million bytes, right? Uh, so one Satoshi per byte, it's uh, 2000 Satoshis. So that's uh, 0.02 BTC. Which okay. is, yeah, not, not enough. Um, <laughs> we're going to need more than that. Well, it, I guess it's a, a question of, of the purchasing power of those sats, correct? Not necessarily the dollar value of said sats. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, but the, the thing is, if, um, if, if the dollar value goes up such that that becomes a significant amount, then you also have a situation where there's a greater incentive for, um, uh, either state actors or kind of very powerful institutions that maybe do not maybe have reasons to want to take down Bitcoin, the incentive kind of grows. Um, if, mm. if Bitcoin becomes so valuable that, you know, one Satoshi per byte is actually worth like, you know, ends up being worth, you know, cost you $10 to send a transaction. In that kind of situation, we're going to need uh, more security. Although that's, that's a good point. Like maybe I shouldn't talk about one Satoshi per byte. Um, I think more precisely what I should, what, what I'm talking about is we need to get to a point where we don't have empty blocks. If we get to a point where actually one Satoshi per byte is quite expensive and maybe there's demand for, um, you know, 0.5 Satoshi per byte transactions, um, then, well, the, the protocol will probably be upgraded. Remember, the, um, the, the fact that there's one Satoshi per byte as a minimum fee is not actually part of the consensus protocol. That's just, um, that's just something that uh, nodes um, can set themselves and most nodes do not broadcast transactions that are greater than 0.1 Satoshi per byte. It's kind of a spam prevention mechanism. Mm. Um, but there's no reason, like let's say we get to a future where, you know, um, a whole bunch of like there's empty blocks and a bunch of people want to pay, you know, 0.02 Satoshi's per byte. Um, yeah, like the nodes will probably just upgrade, um, you know, so that they allow those transactions to go through. Um, mm. Interesting, this, we already did this on, uh, on Liquid. Um, we um, like right now you can you can broadcast transactions that are a point one uh, satoshis per byte. Um. Interesting. So yeah, I guess when I when I kind of look at the argument of of off chain will uh, you know lessen demand for on chain transactions and kind of constantly strike that equilibrium. Mm -hmm. I I also kind of think that there's there's a lot of potential for value to flow onto the Bitcoin main chain. And as you were kind of alluding to, that is a single on-chain transaction can be representative of millions of off-chain transactions. And thus paying, you know, a, a large number of Satoshis per byte to get that transaction established, especially mm -hmm. when you get into the realm eventually, potentially of not only, but not only large corporations, but potentially nation states settling this way sure. down the road, then them paying 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 sats per byte 
or more um, to settle, you know, cross border payments for nation states. It's it, then it becomes like, well, sure, <laughs> whatever, we're settling billions of dollars. In yeah, like if you're sending that. a transaction for $100 million, you do not care whether or not you're paying like 10 cents or 200 bucks to get that confirmed. It's, it's nothing compared to the overall size. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you, do you see uh, it eventually getting to the point where, um, you know, a $100 transaction is never done on the base chain ever again? Ooh, um, yeah, I think it's plausible. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, a question like that requires you to see like several decades out in the future. And, you know, to be honest, like, you know, that's multiple times the age that Bitcoin is right now. So yeah. it's, uh, it's really hard to say. I am um, like, okay, I, I'm gonna go back to the original and just like describe the idea I was trying to convey in that tweet because it might make this a bit clearer. So the, there was, there were kind of two tweets I put out. One, I just looked at the, um, the data from Bitcoin's backlog over the past six months. Um, and um, there's a great site, I should give you a link for it. I, it's Jochen dash Honig. I don't know how to pronounce it, you know, dot Send me it and I'll put it Q. in the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and you can go there and it just shows like how many transactions are in the backlog, what fees they're paying, right? And I looked at the data over the last six months and it was really cool. You could see where the weekends were because the, the, the memo would clear or if it was a big spike, it would kind of partially clear. And you could just kind of see where each weekend was and every Monday there was a spike in traffic. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. And I, I kind of already... I, I went looking for this. I figured it was going to be there because um, the way I use Bitcoin right now, I almost never need to send a transaction that needs to be confirmed day of. So I have always been sending like, you know, one Doge to review by transactions. And I'm like, all right, well, it'll confirm on the weekend if it doesn't confirm today, you know? And um, so, yeah, and it was kind of cool. You could, you could see this in the data. You could just see where the Sundays and Mondays were. Um, so I tweeted this out and then I was thinking about this more. And like, I, um, um, well, another thing that happens is a lot of uh, like uh, you'll, you'll see companies are starting to realize this. Like some companies will do uh, UTXO consolidation. So if there's like an exchange, for example, that has received a whole bunch of tiny little deposits, um, what they'll sometimes do is they'll create like really, really big transactions, um, uh, spending all of these small deposits into like a bigger one. And um, they just broadcast this at like the lowest fee possible once to bite, and they just wait for the mempool to clear and then that gets consolidated because then if they never need to spend a bunch of that money at once and quickly, it's only in one um, UTXO to spend from instead of many, so it'd be cheaper then. Um, and that's just one example of how uh, people can say, okay, well, I'm gonna use, because I know the once Satoshi per byte, because um, I know the backlog is gonna clear eventually, I can broadcast this type of transaction, take advantage of that later. And I think over time, we're gonna see more and more uh, companies and entities taking advantage of this because it's, it's just a really good deal. Getting like, you know, if you just think about what Blockspace is, it, 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 you, you get data stored for um, like on the most robust database on earth for like a few cents, that's, that's crazy, you know? And if you're, uh, you know, mostly it's gonna be people doing payments, but you can also, uh, you know, take advantage of it to, I don't know, like, you know, uh, mix your coins, for example, do coin joins if that's, you know, you need to do if you're not, if that's not urgent. Um, you could do it to, you know, consolidate UTXOs, like I was saying. And so I think that, like, there's, there's a tremendous amount of value just being left on the table when blocks are empty. And over time, as, you know, the Bitcoin ecosystem grows and more and more players get involved, that'll become recognized. And 
there's going to be like a, just a massive line of people who would love to get transactions confirmed for one stitch per bike that they're not in a hurry to do. And I don't think there's anything that Lightning can do to change that. Because I mean, when I'm talking about, I think that if like, you know, we'll only see this for a few more years, mempools clearing regularly. I, it's not because I think that like in a few years, everybody's going to like do their online shopping on the weekends. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that it's just, there's going to be a lot of, um, yeah, non-urgent stuff that people are content waiting for and saving money on doing. And uh, so that's what I meant specifically um, when it comes to, yeah, uh, backlogs or yeah, clear backlogs becoming a thing of the past. How do you think, so if we were to see another mania like 2017, mm. um, like I recall, I, I, things have improved a lot for, for, wallets um since then i remember it, near the peak in 2017 sending a transaction i think i paid like a hundred dollars for a transaction fee and there was no way to change the sats per byte or anything just because the wallets didn't even some of the wallets just didn't even bother with that they yeah they, they would just by default pay the maximum fee to get it through quick because they didn't want to deal with customer service yeah um and so obviously that's changed quite a bit um now, there are still some, some wallets that either minimize those types of options and settings or have very, very poor fee estimation right. or have, and I think we both know who I'm talking about, but have neglected to even bother implementing SegWit, even, even just wrap SegWit. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so do you, do you see us even potentially like, let's say in the next 18 months, we went through another 2017. Um, does the influx of new people then in that environment price out many regular type small transactions for people? Like if somebody goes and buys $100 on an exchange and they want to withdraw um, and that exchange or, or that wallet perhaps doesn't have, have SegWit or do, mm -hmm. does, they don't do batching, things like that. Um, how quickly can these companies pivot around stuff like that? Um, like, what what does an environment like that look like? Do you oh, see? Okay, well, I mean, okay. So I, I've never worked at an exchange, um, so it's hard for me to comment on how quickly they can do that. But I would imagine that if there's a massive bull run, they've got tons of fire that they're always putting out. Um, so I would expect that the exchanges that get their shit in order in advance are going to do better because if you're dealing with like you know a bull run and tons of people trying to sign up. Yeah, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna have a lot of time to spend on like yeah implementing SegWit then. So I strongly recommend and exchanges are listening. Get like start doing this stuff now. Um, yeah, like uh, over time, what I think will eventually happen is like I mean, okay, what's happening is if you're a service, if you're a wallet provider or an exchange, and you don't provide people options, and you just like have them broadcast ISP, so you don't deal with customer service, like you're essentially passing on this cost to your customer, um, and over time the market should favor services and wallets that um, allow people to save money on fees. I mean, we, we get people complaining to us about like why they had to pay us such a big fee on wallets. And I'm like, and I have to tell them like, we don't actually collect fees for this. We are trying to minimize these for you. Like here are options how to do it. Um, and I would imagine that's gotta, that's gotta be even worse for, uh, you know, companies that just right. automatically broadcast a high fee. So yeah, I think over time there, there should eventually be market pressure towards um, services that, are better about this kind of thing. There's a tremendous amount of stuff they can do. They can use SegWit, um, which more of them are starting to. 
and they can use batching, which is like if you're an exchange and you have to issue like 100 withdrawals, do them all in a single transaction instead of doing them all individually. You'll save space like that. Um, and um, there, there's even like um, uh, Jeremy Rubin is working on a, um, a protocol upgrade to Bitcoin called, I think it was called Secure the Bag. I think it's called something else now. Check. Mm -hmm. It's annoying. I, I forgot what it's called. Yeah, it was called, yeah, Op Secure the Bag. Or, um, but um, it's uh, basically a way that you can kind of divide transactions into two pieces and get the more urgent part uh, um, broadcasted sooner and then get the less urgent part uh, broadcast or, or confirmed later on when uh, transaction fees are low. And so all of these are essentially methods where, um, you know, back in 2017, we saw these massive spikes in fees. And these are all methods for kind of reducing the size of those spikes and evening them out over time. If you, um, you know, uh, UTXO consolidation, which I mentioned earlier, which is something, you know, these services can do to take advantage of low fees, that essentially is moving transaction space from periods of high traffic to periods of low traffic. So it's evening out these, um, these big spikes. And there's kind of two effects there. One is that um, given the same rate of uh, traffic, um, if you didn't have these limitations, that means there'll be lower fees during the spikes, but it also means that there will be reduced periods of a limited backlog because more of these transactions are moving to the, um, to the uh, uh, less busy time period. Um, yes, yeah, so there are all sorts of things they can do. I mean, as a customer, just demand more tools for this stuff. I like. I mean, I, I, I would expect there are good reasons even beyond just customer service um, because I've, I haven't found an exchange yet that lets me choose my my that lets yeah. me choose my transaction fee for withdrawal, which really annoys me. Look, I don't care if it takes a week. I just want to pay like a few cents instead of like seven bucks yeah. to withdraw, and they won't do it. But you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's bad when demand it. So, <laughs> so that I I and it's bad on both in both aspects. So there's, there's a few different, like here in Canada, there's, there's a, a number of different exchanges, but some are still eating the fee when they send out a uh, transaction. Um, which God I, bless oh, them. Oh man. I, I don't know how <laughs> who they, does, who they, does that? Uh, Shake pay and bull Bitcoin still do that. Oh, bill Bitcoin. Oh yeah. I forgot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that's going to be sustainable. Um, um, and, I don't, I don't think it will be. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so if it's not, then the option to set your fee upon withdrawal will be necessary as, as well as honestly, I don't, I don't see how exchanges are, are, can't eventually offer like lightning withdrawals, things like that. Like I, I feel like that's going to have to be an option um, for people that want, you know, want to do a $50 buy and then mm -hmm. withdraw it to custody. Like I, I feel like that's, an eventuality that everybody's going to have to deal with. But then on the opposite side of the spectrum, you do have the, the exchanges that, well, obviously don't give an option for your fee because I, mm -hmm. I like you said, I haven't seen anybody do that yet. Um, but then on top of that, they, they set the fee so high that it's even in times, like it's just a default static amount of Bitcoin. Yeah. And like, yeah. I've seen, I've seen ones that were like 0 0.001, which are like, in Canada, that's like fifteen dollars yeah. to withdraw, and so that's and like and and Bitcoin's only you know like Bitcoin is is half of its previous all time high right now, well mm -hmm. a little bit more, but but still like so that goes up to what eventually thirty thirty bucks twenty something in the U.S. If it, mm -hmm. if we get even just back to the level of and you know if we had another run or something, you see hundred k Bitcoin, you're one hundred fifty dollars to withdraw. Or something like that. If they if they yeah. 
it's, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. They, they'll have to adjust. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, o- over time, the market should favor services that actually build proper tools for this. I mean, ideally, you want to do batching. You want to let the customer choose um, the fees to withdraw. Um, I, I'm going gonna, gonna to take some opportunity to shill liquid. Um, I think more exchanges integrating liquid is going to be great, especially if you're doing custodian to custodian transactions. Like, mm-hmm. if you're if you are sending, you know, funds from one exchange to another, fundamentally, there's no real reason you need to use the, the, the Bitcoin base layer for that. Because, you know, you know, when you're using the Bitcoin base layer, like you're paying, you're paying for a service that lets you transact trustlessly. You, you know, you, you don't need to, um, you're, you're, and you're paying to, you know, have your transaction recorded for all time, right? If you're sending from one custodian to another, Liquid's a great option for that. Um, like we don't actually encourage people to use it for like, um, like everyday payments, like you can use it on your store, like especially if you just want to get familiar with it, you know, or it's good if you want to use like, you know, uh, like a Tether, for example, is on Liquid. Um, but um, if you're doing custodian, custodian transactions, Liquid is a great option. Uh, it's also like a lot faster, it, it, you know, transactions confirm within less than two minutes um, every time. And uh, so, yeah, I would strongly recommend if you want to have um, faster and cheaper um, withdrawals or, or movements between exchanges, um, ask your... Um, you know, ask your service to implement liquid. Um, yeah. We'll be happy to help them set, get set up. And right now, um, what you've got, uh, Bifinex, Bitsy, uh, what what places are are utilizing liquid right like now? Like have integrated? Yeah. I um, oh, there's 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 quite the list at this point. Um, here I'll bring it up. But um, um, yeah, I know there's Bifinex, Bitsy. Um, I believe uh, will be. Um, I mean, bull Bitcoin uses liquid. Yeah, well, Bitcoin uses liquid. Um, and who else do we have here? Um, BISC uses it. BTC Pay Server allows you to use it. Um, BTC Turk, and if it was in Turkey, uh, Bitsy, Coinut, GoPax, Hodl, Hodl, Liquidity, MarketCoin, RenRenBit, SideShift AI, The Rock Trading, and Wire. They all uh, provide uh, support for liquid in one way or another. Damn. And more coming to you soon. So. Hmm. Sweet. Awesome. Okay, so, I, okay, I want to take us down this tangent. This is kind of a, a random thought that I had. Maybe we'll, this will kind of be the, the, the topic that I, so we'll get a little cosmic here if that's okay right, with you. Great. Okay. So I was thinking about fees and limited block space and like the, the reason for limited block space um, feasibly is, is obviously the economics of, of being able to pay miners after the, the block subsidy is gone. But, but it also has to do with, uh, latency of the network and being able to run your own node and and right. sync with the network um, without constantly being behind while also getting new information and, and new blocks. Right. Um, and so that works all well and good, uh, it, you know, when you're on Earth uh, <laughs> and you're you're transacting right. with yeah. people. But okay, let's let's go a ways out. Let's let's get. Uh, however many years, when, however quickly Elon Musk can work. Um, let's say in, in a, a situation where you have people off planet, but relatively close, like, like Mars, perhaps. Okay. In an instance like that, obviously the latency between the network with Earth and Mars, like you can't, you're not going to be able to sync and then keep on top of blocks and feasibly be transacting across the regular Bitcoin network uh, peer-to-peer, correct? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I love that you're asking this question. Um, <laughs> you've, you've, you've asked the right person. 
Um, I, uh, well, I think you know, Peter Todd might be the, the correct person to ask, but I know he's done the stuff. But uh, we, we actually went into this with, um, we had Samson Moe on our podcast um, last year, and uh, we actually started talking about, yeah, interplanetary, interstellar cryptocurrencies and how they would work. And also, we, we released an April Fool's video last year for the, uh, or it was here for the Lava Network, which is, you know, liquid network for Mars. And he actually had myself and, um, and Grubles like do research into actual like, you know, orbital periods and like maximum or minimum broadcast time or latency between, I believe like at minimum, you're going to see four minutes of latency between Earth and Mars and maximum it's 12 minutes, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and uh, so you actually can still use Bitcoin. Um, that's actually like, you're just going to have an extra 12 minute delay knowing whether or not your transaction is confirmed. Um, so but that's actually the the risk of double spend there, but but that you can address that by just simply waiting an extra twelve minutes, um, like is the way the way you mediate double spends now is you wait for you know six transactions or six confirmations has become kind of a standard. You can still wait for six confirmations on Mars. It's just going to take an extra twelve minutes, you know, at you know when when planets are furthest apart from each other uh, to confirm uh, that it's been, uh, you know, that it's got its six confirmations. So it's still usable in that way. Um, Interestingly, Lightning Network will work. Um, uh, you could have a Lightning Network. Um, Mars would have to have its own separate Lightning Network, but it would function um, at the same, um, uh, just as well as on Earth. Um, you would just, again, need to, when you're um, uh, loading and unloading uh, or opening and closing uh, payment channels, you know, same thing, you just need to wait the extra four to 12 minutes to confirm that it's been, you know, that transaction has been confirmed. But once you're actually good to go, a Lightning Network on Mars, because all the participants are on Mars, they can do all of their uh, payments just as easily as they could on Earth. Um, oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. I've got, yeah. I, let, I'm going to toss a, an attack vector your way. Sure, and I, yeah. I just, okay, you said potentially 12 minute latency between Earth and, and like as a maximum. Right. Right. Um, Okay, let's say there's a set of private keys that exist simultaneously on Earth and on Mars. Mm -hmm. Somebody on Mars uh, spends a transaction. So basically, I, I guess this is, I'm kind of disproving myself at the same time. In, in my head, I'm like, okay, well, if somebody, you, you, there's literally no way you could uh, accept a zero comp transaction, obviously, uh, because Technically, there could be a, a transaction spent on Earth simultaneously as on Mars, and it would be, in essence, accepted both places, but the one on Earth would be confirmed first officially on the Bitcoin network, and you wouldn't see that confirmation till later. But how does that play with Lightning Network? Like, let's say somebody um, closed the channel uh, it, it, wait, they would have to be a separate lightning network then? That's why it's, that's well, why? The, the entire point of lightning network is, is that you, you, the participants have to be online, have to be able to communicate with each other essentially in real time. And that right. can't happen if some participants are on Earth, some participants are on Mars. So that's why I say Mars have to have its own separate lightning network. Um, now, what about, so you were talking about liquid. Uh, so technically, if you were to build, um, kind of like again like a federated model for like a liquid network and lock up bitcoin on earth and then bring the keys to that federated model with you yeah. to a, a whatever planet 
then you yeah. could transact as long as those keys weren't duplicated on Earth before you left. Yeah, but, but like, okay. you can even have the keys duplicated on Earth. You can even have the Federation running on Earth and, or I mean, okay, you wouldn't want that, but like, yeah, a side chain for each planet, I think it's a great idea. Like, um, uh, because like right now, if you want to peg coins in or out of, um, of liquid, uh, it um, like, you know, you can exchange it using services, you know, instantly, but if you're actually, um, it, for one of the larger players, pegging coins in and out uh, takes, uh, like, I believe it's like 102 transactions or something, you know, which is the better part of a day. So an extra 12 minutes on top of that is negligible, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so you could run a federation, um, a federated network on, uh, on Mars. Like the Lava Network, you know, is, was kind of a joke, but it's, well, it's not completely a joke. Like you could actually see something like that sort of work in the future. Feasible. Like now, of course, like, you know, I, I should put a important caveat out there. Like, you know, liquid is a federated bottle. It doesn't have the same, uh, you know, properties as, uh, as uh, Bitcoin does. It's not completely trustless. It's, you know, you do have to trust that the majority of the Federation is, um, is, uh, you know, performing the duties properly. Um, so, you know, that's not an ideal solution. If you really want trustlessness, you go with lightning on Mars or, you just do regular Bitcoin, but you just wait an extra period of time for confirmations. Um, but yeah. Does it get to a point where uh, you're too far from the base chain, like in, in distance where it just becomes... Oh, it does. Yeah. Where, well, what once, is... what, once you get to other stars, forget about it. Because, it, you know, if like the nearest stars to Earth are roughly four light years away, you're not going to wait four years for a transaction to confirm. Um, so yeah, once you get to other stars, um, you probably are going to want your own currency at that point. Um, like, it, yeah, you would have to have your own chain. I guess you, theory, you still you could you could still lock up if feasible if you did a, a careful enough uh, creation of a multisig for a. Uh, uh, you could do a federated chain for another star, but then you need to have. Um, your your time lock for pegging coins in and out would need to be greater than the the light speed distance to that place. So you'd need to have like something like more than a four year time lock. Yeah. Um, and like four years is also assuming there's no breaks in communication between you and the home system, which um, I mean, I guess we're talking about a far future where we actually travel there. So who knows, maybe we do have really reliable communication between the two, uh, but I wouldn't count on that. Imagine, imagine a civilization that, that, that locks up Bitcoin, even a few Bitcoin into a federated model, travels the stars, and then because of relativity, relativity returns to Earth hundreds of years later, Bitcoin somehow has survived. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, like, and they become the, the richest overrulers of the entire planet because they control so much Bitcoin independently. Yeah, who knows that? Like, well, also, once you get into a, you know, really fast time travel, um, uh, time will pass more slowly for people traveling at a higher speed. So you could travel for, I don't know, if you have a sufficiently fast spaceship, travel for 10 years, come back, it's been 100 years on Earth, who knows? I guess at that point, yeah, like once you, once you get into those distances, the fact that um, relativity comes into play, I, oh, I haven't thought too much about that, but I would imagine that a lot of the assumptions about Bitcoin will start to break down if time passes at different speeds for different locations. Um, That's, so, I mean... Um, uh, now, we, within within our solar system, you're good. Like you know, the yeah. difference between Earth and Mars in terms of time passing is is negligible, uh, yeah. as far as I understand. Um, but yeah, once you get to other stars, you're probably going to want your own 
proof of work so, chains. Somebody's got to try though. Somebody, it's, whoever wants to hop on a ship with McConaughey, and uh, and and brave that black hole with a federated side chain of Bitcoin. And uh, I mean, what better way to hodl, right? Yeah, we're leading the way. You saw Chris Hadfield got his Bitcoin from us, right? I did. I know. Yeah, so, yeah. Canadian. Yeah, that's that. I was super stoked to see a Canadian astronaut do a uh, Bitcoin transaction from a satellite. Be a satellite. That's right. Yeah. yeah incredible. Um, okay. I think I'm. <laughs> I think after that little dive down the interstellar rabbit hole, uh, I think I can. Uh, we'll, we'll, we can wrap it there. Um, but Mario, I've got to say, thank you so much for this. I, I had a lot of fun with this chat. Yeah, man, <laughs> so anytime. This is, this is good. It was a lot of fun. Um, that, you know, I got to, I got to meet you briefly, uh, while you were checking out my own stomping grounds. Uh, so that was really cool. I'd love to run into you again at some point. Hey, uh, if you come to the West coast, man, I, yeah. I would love to do that. Um, and, uh, for people that are looking, um, feel free to take the moment to shill, whether it be like Twitter handles, whatever you want them to check out. Yeah, man. Um, well, I mean, relative to, related to our conversation, um, yeah, I mean, if you're using exchanges and want cheaper fees, uh, tell people you want liquid, um, definitely do that. Um, if you want to hear more of me and rants with uh, the Bill Photo guys and uh, Ruben Sampson, uh, we have a, uh, an R-rated Bitcoin podcast uh, called The Unhashed Podcast, so give us a look there. And uh, yeah, just look up uh, unhashpodcast.com. That's us. And you can find me on Twitter. I am Mario underscore Gibney. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. And guys, be sure to check out Mario. And I will have all of these links uh, down below so you can click them there. Uh, thanks for being on, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for watching and or listening. If you're here on YouTube, please do hit like, subscribe, and share. All of those things really do help, so be sure to do them. Uh, if you want to help out the show in another way, you can hit up the sponsors I mentioned down below. That was Leaden for the 25 bucks into your savings accounts if you get a loan. Uh, check out Crypto Cloaks, code BTC Sessions. Grab some swag there. And of course, the Kobo Vault. There's a link to grab that. And if you retweet the show and tag myself and Kobo, you could win one of those steals seed plates. And finally, if you really loved what you saw, you can always drop me a Bitcoin Lightning Network tip at my tippin.me page. That is T-I-P-P-I-N dot me slash at BTC Sessions. With that, I'm out. Have yourselves a wonderful day, a wonderful evening, wherever you are, and I'll see you next time for your daily session.